What a great day. Awesome. For those of you who are guests and visitors here, my name is Otis Barnett. I'm the uh, youth pastor here. And uh, I have the good privilege of just sharing with you today. And I, I believe I have a word from heaven for you guys. And um, I, um, I uh, you know, one of the things that I really like to do is I like to kind of get out and, um, and go and see what other people are doing at other churches and kind of see how they do service and how they do things. And, you know, um, I heard this story about this pastor. It says, uh, you know, one beautiful Sunday morning, this pastor announced to his congregation, my good people, I have here in my hands three sermons. A $100 sermon that lasts five minutes, a $50 sermon that lasts 15 minutes, and a $10 sermon that lasts an hour. Now we'll take the collection and see which one you've chosen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's probably not a good speaker. All right. Hey, today, if you would, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to one passage that we're going to primarily look at today, Matthew chapter 14. It's going to begin in verse 22. And um, uh, today, this is uh, what I would say to you, this is more of like a time-stamped message for you. Uh, this is a prophetic kind of message. If you're here today and you're not normally here, this is just... I mean, this probably has your name written all over it. I just love seeing all the Rarick sitting over here, by the way. All of these guys back in the house uh, sitting together. And, and uh, um, I just want to encourage you today. God has a word for you. And you're going to hear some things that you're going to be processing through. And, um, and uh, there will be a lot, of, a lot of things that you hear. And I would like to say it this way. This sermon, there will be a lot of meat on the bones. And so you'll go home and you'll want to chew on it and process it and think about it uh, moving through the, through the coming days and weeks. Um, I want to speak to you a message called Sons in a New Season. Sons in a New Season. This was inspired, uh, you know, this, me sharing this this Sunday morning was actually inspired by pastor a couple of weeks ago in uh, a sermon series. He used this illustration where he said this. It says, we have uh, in the kingdom times where God gives to us a promise. He speaks something to us specifically. It's a promise that God wants to bring to pass in our life. And then we have over here something called fulfillment of the promise. And that's where that promise that he gave actually comes to pass. But then there is this gap in between. And the gap in between is what I call transition. It's transition. Now there's really only one biblical word for this word transition. It's called wilderness. I hear the groans. Because many of you have heard the story of the children of Israel wandering 40 years after God gave them a promise to take them into their own land, to take them into a place where he wanted to bless them, a land flowing with milk and honey, he gives them this great promise, and they were one day late saying yes. 
Remember on the day that he was trying to take them in? They said, no, 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 there's giants. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We can't go in. And, and then God says to them, fine, you're going to fall in the desert the next day. Okay, we'll go. Moses said, don't do that. It won't work. And so they tried to go in and were, were almost slaughtered that day. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, there's another time that wilderness is mentioned in the New Testament. And it didn't last 40 years, it lasted 40 days. And we find it before Jesus launches into public ministry, it's when he went into the wilderness for a time of prayer and fasting. Now he goes into the wilderness and it only lasts 40 days. And it's one of the most supernatural passages uh, uh, that we have in the scriptures where we see Jesus even being translocated. He's like being taken up onto a high mountain. He's shown all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, just bow down to me, I'll give them to you. They belong to me, I'll give them to you. And Jesus uses the word and sends Satan on his way. He actually is taught, brought up to the pinnacle of the temple. And again, Satan tempting him, Jesus says, releases the word to him, and he goes away. I want, I want you to know something today from the very beginning. I believe that there are a lot of people in here today who are in the wilderness. You are in the wilderness. The time between God's promise and fulfillment. But I have good news for you. The wilderness is not created to destroy you, but to empower you. The wilderness was never created to destroy you. It was created to empower you. You see, we find that Jesus, it says that he was led by the Spirit. The word in Greek is ekbalo. That means literally he was thrust into the wilderness. It was like it was placed on him. He goes there submitting to God. And then we find out after releasing the word back to Satan, Satan leaves him. He comes out of the, out of the wilderness in the power of of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. If you are in the wilderness today, it's not because God is wanting to destroy you. He's trying to promote you. So we're going to read this passage today and understand some things about being a son in a new season. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 22. It says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, Lord, give you glory for your word. Lord, that it is, it is living, it is active, it is powerful. But we say today, Lord, we need to hear it. We need to hear it for ourselves. So, Lord, we say give us ears to hear. Spirit of God, help us to understand what you're saying to us. Father, I thank you that your word is firm. It's the firm foundation of our lives. And we today can trust what you are saying to us. Father, release to us by revelation the application of this word so we can move into a new season. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if there is a, uh, an issue that I see going on in the church that's really not being addressed, there's a lot of things... Uh, uh, of a political nature, of a moral nature that are being addressed in church, but there is something of a spiritual nature that actually is rendering the church ineffective in this hour. And it is the issue of sonship. The, is, the issue of being a son or a daughter of God is one of the highest priorities, I believe, that God is going to do in the church in this hour. You see in Acts chapter 2 and, and in Joel 2, the scripture said, In the last days I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, and this is what it says, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Listen, I know there's a lot of things that, that we can say about the gifts and, and everything else, but the first thing that you need to notice is that he addresses you as a son. He addresses you as a daughter or a son. But I believe that most of us don't regularly see ourselves in that light the way that he's addressing us as a son or a daughter of God. Today, God wants to empty us of any orphan spirit that's keeping us from entering in to the next season. Now, context tells us about Matthew chapter 14, that when we began this scripture, that what happened right before is the feeding of the 5,000. You guys familiar with that story? You know, uh, uh, you know the disciples go and snatch a bag lunch from a, a young boy, you know, and he's got a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish, and, and uh, this feeding of the 5,000, that means that there were 5,000 men 
Most scholars believe that there were probably between 15 and 20,000 people in attendance that day. Jesus takes the bread, breaks the bread, blesses the bread, gives it to the disciples, and they then feed this entire place. It is electric what's going on. Matter of fact, in the most human of all measurements, you would actually think that this was the most successful moment of Jesus' ministry. Everyone's fed, there are miracles, everyone's happy, everyone's together. And then you read this. What is happening? Transition. Transition. I'm going to give you seven takeaways today that are all about transition. Now, some may apply to you and some may not. Some may you, be, you may be doing really well in some of these areas and others you may say, wow, you know, I, I, I really need to let God do a deep work in my life in this area. So I'm going to give you seven takeaways to transition. First thing you need to notice is that Jesus sent everyone in different directions. I love what it says in verse 22. It says, the disciples were made to get in the boat. It says he made them get in the boat. You know why? They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to be with him. He has just fed 15,000 people. It's like miracles are happening. All of these people are now seeing him. His ministry is exploding. And he looks at the 12 guys who are closest to him and says, get in the boat without me. What? Jesus, we're going with you. No, you're getting in the boat. Jesus, you don't understand what's happened here. We're going to hire a marketing team. We're going to get your name out everywhere. 20,000 people, you just fed them. If we leave, you're going to send all these people away and you're going to ruin all of this success. That he made the disciples get in the boat. And he said this, go on ahead, ahead of me. Go across the lake ahead of me. And then he sends the multitudes away, go home. And then he sends himself alone to a mountain. Now, I have a family of seven, me, my wife, and five children. Our house occasionally needs cleaning. A lot. The last thing that I would do would send my children away when things need to get done. I need to gather them. And we've got to get the troops together. And we've got we've to make a plan. Okay, you're doing the dishes. You're doing the floors. You're doing the laundry. Okay, we're going to do it together. I mean, by the way, it works. Some of you should try it. Some of you are like, they were driving me crazy. Just get out of the house. No, try it. It'll work. This is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. I'm telling you, in a, in a, in a season of transition, you will say this. God, what are you doing God will give you a promise and you'll be like, God, what are you doing? This does not make sense. God, you're not using wisdom. This doesn't make sense. 
He sent everyone in different directions. And if you ever feel like God gives you a promise and everything around you stops making sense, you might be in transition. Second takeaway is this. Obedience led to a test. Obedience led to a test. Jesus said specifically to the disciples, get in the boat and go ahead of me. I want you to cross over ahead of me. Now when evening came, he was alone there, and now the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Have you ever felt like God told you to do something, and then you started to head toward it, and everything just started falling apart? It seemed like everything that you had planned and everything that, that you had it all worked out in your mind. You didn't see the contrary winds coming. Yeah. Obedience led to a test. See, entering into a new season requires every believer to press against contrary winds. Listen, I'll say that again. Entering into a brand new season will require you to press against contrary winds. Why? Why is this wind blowing against them when God said you need to go in the direction the wind is blowing from. It is contrary to their instruction. I mean, we think, this is the way we think of the church, right? When God, when God gives you a word to do something, the wind will be at your back. That sounds really good. You'll sell a lot of books. It's just not the Bible. I promise you, every believer who has ever broken through in any area of their life has had to press against contrary winds. Why was there contrary winds? It's actually found in the section of Scripture just after the one that we read. In Matthew 14, 34 to 36, this is what it says. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Listen to this. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. This is like one of only a couple times that we see everybody got healed. A regional 
a regional healing took place. Jesus shows up. People recognize him. They start going into the surrounding area. The surrounding area is actually called Decapolis. Decapolis is a place called Ten Cities. The reason you know that is because this is actually the same region that the demoniac comes out of. The man who had 2,000 demons. If you read that story on your own, this is the same region. And where was the demoniac sent? He was sent to Decapolis. And so they went out into 10 cities collecting sick people to, and they said, you don't, you don't need to do anything. Just touch him. And, and it's the hem of his garment. It is probably, what that meant is actually the edges of his prayer shawl. It's called the talit. And it had, it was frayed at the end. And so they would touch the end of his prayer shawl and immediately they'd be healed. And what was standing between the disciples being a part of a region getting healed? Contrary winds. contrary winds. I quote this often because I believe that it is so critical for us to understand. It's a, a quote from an evangelist named Damon Thompson. Opposition is a prophetic indicator of potential. Opposition is a prophetic indicator of potential. The winds are not blowing because you're bad. The winds are blowing because of your potential. The winds are blowing because the enemy can sense something is coming. There is a fulfillment coming. And every believer needs to know that I have to press past the winds that are pushing against me, trying to keep me from what God has promised me, from, what, from actually walking in my moment, walking in my calling, I am going to have to press against it. Even though everything in me just is like, God, what is going on? There was a great healing that was about to take place. And the winds were blowing the third takeaway that you could take away in the time of transition is simply this. While their world was shaking, Jesus was interceding. It says, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. I've come to announce to you, to you today that God is working behind the scenes for you to bring you into your destiny. God is working behind the scenes for you on your behalf to bring you into your destiny. Nothing can stop you. No winds can stop you. Not devils can stop you. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's read the passage. What shall we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I want you to know something today. It is a great comfort to all of us when our brothers and sisters in this church or brothers and sisters in the body of Christ pray for us. But there is no comfort like knowing I have a Savior who's interceding for me. He is interceding for you. And by the way, he gets his prayers answered. He is making intercession for you. He's praying you through transition. He's interceding. Now I want you to understand something. As a result of the intercession, Jesus was sent in great signs and wonders to the disciples walking on water. Now I want you to I want you to catch this. You know, there are other places where Jesus did very miraculous things. Matter of fact, after the resurrection, the, all of the disciples, they are so afraid. It said that they were in a room and it was securely shut, locked up. Jesus walks through a wall, comes right in the room. I mean, read the Bible. It is awesome. And he says, fear not, because you would be very afraid. <laughs> But my question is, is that if he did it then, why not just, you know, just show up on the boat? I mean, while they're paddling, while they're going for it, you could see the scene. They're working against the wind. They're trying desperately to get, and then Jesus just shows up on the boy, boat. Hi, boys. Mm. That's actually not how he came, though. Which actually suggests to me that there was a purpose in the way that he came. There was something specific behind him coming in signs and wonders, walking on water. And I want to remind you that Jesus said this, I only do what I see my father doing. So he was sent in this manner for a purpose. You need to realize this. Fourth takeaway is this, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. It says in Matthew 14, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, if you don't know what the fourth watch of the night, that is actually the portion of the night which is the darkest and immediately precedes the dawn. It is the darkest time of the day. Now, uh, I, we happen to be right now in uh, my favorite time of the year. No, it has nothing to do with Halloween and everything to do with archery season. I love to hunt. And I know a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit about walking in the fourth watch. You see, what you do in preseason in hunting is you actually go and you scout an area. You become very familiar with it. You walk that area 10, 20, 30 times, and you get very familiar with your surroundings. You're trying to remember where this is and where that is, and you're going there because the next time that you go, when everything is counting, you, when everything counts, the very first time you go there, it will be dark. And I know this for sure. Everything looks different. Everything looks completely different. 
It's just dark. You're like, I don't remember that. What was that? I don't know. But if I wait, I really, I'll never forget this one day I was walking down this trail that literally I had, would walk, I had walked that trail 40 or 50 times. I got to the end of this trail. It was so dark, and I'm trying not to turn on the lights and alert game and all that stuff. And I just said, I think I'm supposed to go this direction. I ended up going that direction. I, I mean, I was completely lost. I just found a tree and got up in it, you know, and I'm like, this is the worst. And then an eight-point buck came by. And I, it was awesome. It was a good day. <laughs> it's awesome. For those of you who just don't like hunting, I'm very sorry. Yeah, we have deliverance after the service. Uh, here's what you need to understand. Um, the fourth watch, and in this time of transition, you will be blinded by circumstance. When you're in between promise and fulfillment, there probably will come a moment where you cannot see. This is the time where, you know, you, you really need to rely on others who can. This is where you really do need to be plugged into a body of believers. And you really do need to get around some prophetic people who can hear the voice of the Lord for you. You really do need to be a part of a life group where a brother or sister who has walked through transition and walked through wilderness before can say to you, I see something's coming. You can't see right now, and probably in this room, there are some people who are completely blind to what's coming to you because you're in the fourth watch. It's dark. And everything you thought you had figured out looks different. But God's timing is absolutely perfect. Some people in here, you feel like your vision is blurred by circumstance. The relationship that's shaking, the job that's not what you wanted, the family that's, it's just not working out the way that you thought it would work out. I have good news. You're about to break into a new season. Jesus is coming to you in miraculous power. In the darkest hour, he's coming. He's coming. I announce to you he's coming. And if there's something in you that says, not for me, listen to the fifth takeaway. It's in this moment in transition that orphan tendencies get exposed. It's in this moment that orphan tendencies get exposed. Listen, the scripture says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now I'm confused. Because they were just a few minutes ago standing with him as he's breaking bread and it's multiplying and the fish is multiplying. 
And this same one that they were face to face with, had been walking with, now they think he's a ghost. How do you transition from I know him to he's a ghost? There was an orphan heart in some of these men. Listen, when God is drawing near, all orphans can see is a ghost. And what is a ghost? But something dead that haunts you from the past. A ghost is something dead that haunts you from the past. The scripture actually says that they were paralyzed with fear. The word fear there is phobia. It is exactly that. They could not move for fear. They could not move for fear. This is why it's impossible for an orphan to move into the next season. Because God starts to move powerfully and miraculously and all they can see are the ghosts from their past coming to haunt them. And I have a simple announcement to everyone in the room. If you are a son or a daughter of God, you are forgiven and free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You see, we start to believe things about God that just are not true, that, that, that keeps us from entering into fulfillment. It keeps us from entering in to what God has for us. Not because God doesn't want us there. It's because we think our past keeps us anchored in the past. When the anchor of our souls has washed us and made us clean according to the scriptures. The scriptures say, behold, all things become new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are a son or a daughter of God, you got to let him deal with the ghosts. you got to let him just forgive you and wash you. And those things which you did, which you are not proud of, you need to make this declaration over them when they come back up. The blood's enough. Jesus dying on the cross, it's enough. His death, burial, and resurrection, it's enough. It's enough to be free. Orphans, God's moving toward them, and they're thinking, oh, we should just go back to shore. Maybe he'll come back and we'll do the bread thing again. We can't we just go do the bread thing again? Please? Please. I mean, hymns were so much better than what we did. We 
got to go back. I love hymns, by the way. My point is, is that that orphan heart, it'll show up when God launches you from a promise and everything starts to press against you. You just go, well, I think I need to just go back. It'll push you right back to a place where God was but is no longer. You know where he is? Coming in miraculous power with the strangest sound of all, footsteps on a stormy lake. God has sent this word to you to prophetically minister to you, to deliver you of every orphan tendency. Listen to me. An orphan is someone that a mother and a father abandon. That is not God. You, you, you hear the orphan heart come out like this. Oh, God would heal them, just not me. God, God would forgive them, just not me. Oh, God will, yeah, yeah, he, he, he could do that. Just not me, because he abandons me. And in the middle of the wind and the waves, there will always be a voice that says, that thing from the past is causing the wind and the waves. And I've got news for you. It's not what you have done that's causing the wind and the waves in this season. It's who you are. That's what's causing the wind. It's you're a son or a daughter of God about to transition into something significant. And all we see are the ghosts from the past and we think, that's why the wind's blowing. That's why the rain's coming. That's why I can't get there. And I've got news for you. The cross is still enough. And you can trust him. He's a good father. And he will never leave you and never forsake you. Sixth takeaway in a season of transition is that the voice of the Lord is released. The voice of the Lord is released in a time of transition. I love this. It says, but immediately when they're crying out for fear, when they're paralyzed, they can't move, they can't see, they're not getting to where they feel like they are supposed to be, Jesus says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The voice of the Lord positions hearts before circumstances change. You need to hear that. He said, do not 
be afraid. It's I. And the wind kept blowing. And the waves kept splashing. And the wind was still contrary when the voice came. And when God speaks to you, oftentimes it will still be dark. There will still be opposition. There will still be things that are pressing against you. When the voice comes, it doesn't mean the circumstances are changing then, but they are changing soon. The voice of the Lord is powerful. Listen. Have you ever had that moment where you're in the middle of a situation, you're in the middle of a crisis, you're in the middle of facing something that's bigger than you and it's beyond your control and God speaks to you before anything changes and the storm on the outside is still raging but the one on the inside suddenly became calm. That's what the voice of the Lord will do. You say, where do I find it? You find it in his word primarily. You open the word. Just get in the word. It's forever settled. God has spoken to us through his son. The word is living and active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is exactly what you need. Now, does the word of the Lord come through brothers and sisters? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does, but the primary place you get it is from his word. You need a word from heaven in the midst of your storm, in the midst of a dark hour, get into the word. And when that word comes to your soul, let it settle. Every contrary wind inside of you. That is how a believer can walk in joy when everything else seems to be falling apart. Because he is there, he is my father, he hasn't abandoned me, and he is speaking to me. Do not be afraid. Seventh takeaway today. In a time of transition, faith to risk for the kingdom has to be demonstrated. Faith to risk for the kingdom has to be demonstrated. It says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, there have been countless sermons about the portion of Scripture that is soon to follow. But brother was walking on the water. He was walking on the water. Did you catch that? Everybody wants to talk about the sinking. I want to talk about the first few steps. He got out of the boat and was walking on the water. Peter is my hero. Paul is like way over my pay grade. But Peter, man, I get him. I love this brother because in a time of transition somebody's got to put it on the line for the king. Nobody else could even utter the phrase if it's you 
bid me come. Some of us right now are too afraid to ask God in the middle of our storm if it's you. Because we're holding tight to the boat that we think is keeping us from drowning. All that boat was supposed to be was the vessel that got us from one miracle to the next season. Get it out of our mouth. Listen, that risk led to the revelation of Jesus to the boat dwellers. It says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter's risk in a time of transition led to a revelation of Jesus to people who were so paralyzed they could not move. And the entire boat moves to him and worships him. Here's a powerful thought, even Judas. I'm telling you, I have a question. Is there anybody here who is willing when you can't see, when the wind is blowing against you, just knowing that God is praying for you and has something more for you? Is there anyone here who is willing to live a lifestyle of faith that demonstrates God is real and Jesus is King? There are boat dwellers in our community that need some believers who are in the middle of transition to get out of the boat and say, God, call me if it's you. Call me if it's you. Listen. It was in that moment everyone on the boat had a revelation of who he was. I'm going to make this statement. And when you get a revelation of who he is, you find out who you are. They went from being disciples to being sons. They're like, he won't abandon us. Not in our storm, not in our dark hour. He is carrying us to something bigger and something that I can't even see yet. I want to say this to you today as we just finish up. Transition is not easy. Just worth it. It's worth it. What if? What if, church, God was transitioning Calvary to be a place 
that when people came in the door, cancer got healed? What if, what if, what if they come into worship services and find a strange drawing saying, I haven't heard a message yet, but I need to give my life to Jesus. What, what if the promise for us is a healing that happens to the spirit, which is salvation, a healing that happens to the soul, the mind, the will, and emotions through deliverance of everything that is from the past and healing in bodies as well? What if? What if it's on the other side of contrary winds and waves darkness. What if we need a church that just says, God, if it's you, tell me to come. If it's you, tell me to come. And I'm coming. And you'll find that in the midst of it, I'm still not seeing everything, but boy, I got a breakthrough right here where I am. And it's going to carry me in to what God has for me. I want you to bow your heads today.